We're going to read the Bible now. And there's two readings today. The first one is Habakkuk chapter 3, 16 to 19. And the second one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. So we'll start in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. is towards the end of the Old Testament. From verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. In 1 Peter chapter 1. From verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you, uh, Hannah, and uh, hello, everyone. Great to uh, see you. Great to be with you again here this afternoon. Let me um, just pray as we uh, ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine what life would be like without it. You've told us that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And uh, Father, that's exactly what it is. It is the, your word that gives us meaning, that enables us to know you and enables us to know what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that it might indeed enlighten our minds and our hearts again this afternoon as we consider your word together. We pray for your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, friends, I'm uh, definitely not an expert when it comes to the, the field of antiques. Uh, but one thing that I do know, I've watched the Antiques Roadshow, 
Uh, one thing that I do know is that uh, with certain items, especially those which are made of silver or of gold, that you need to look for the hallmarks. If you want to know if your antique is authentic, then you must search for those special markings, for they tell you about the purity and the quality and the value. Hallmarks tell you whether or not you have the genuine article. But it's a little bit like that with Christians, isn't it? The Bible tells us that there are certain qualities that are like hallmarks of the genuine believer. Like, for example, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Anyone can claim to follow Jesus, but if they are the real deal, then there are certain characteristics that should be evident in their lives. And one of those hallmarks is joy. The Bible makes it clear that as Christians, we should experience and we should exhibit happiness and delight, rejoicing and gladness. The Bible makes it clear that as Christians, we should in fact be overflowing with joy. For example, in Psalm 5, it says, Let all who take refuge in you, Lord, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. In Luke chapter 2, the angel came to the shepherds and said to them, I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. In John chapter 15, Jesus said to us there, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And in Philippians chapter 5, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And what about those passages that Hannah just read for us? Habakkuk chapter 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. And 1 Peter chapter 1. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. There's absolutely no doubt that one of the hallmarks of those who trust in Jesus is happiness, gladness and joy. But my friends, if that is true, if God says that this is so important, then why is it that so often the Christians I know seem to have such limited joy? In fact, why is it that so often I seem to have such limited joy? Why do we get so down, so negative and critical, so prone to despair? Perhaps we need to stop and ask ourselves seriously this afternoon, where is the joy? And so I want us to start by considering why is it that we as Christians can struggle so much in this area? Well, one reason can simply be our own personalities. We're not all the same, and so some of us are, are more melancholy, more inclined toward being downhearted and sad. That's simply a fact of life. And we do well to recognise if this is actually our own personal struggle. Another reason can be our own circumstances. It's not easy to rejoice when you lose your job 
or fail your exams or feel stressed or unwell. It's not easy to rejoice when your marriage is on the rocks or you've been diagnosed with an incurable illness or you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And I'm sure that you can fill in the blanks for your own life. It's, it's not easy to rejoice when I am going through these things. But God understands. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he reminds us that as well as there being a time to, to laugh and to dance, that there is also a time to weep and to mourn. But, you know, I think there's another reason that we need to consider together tonight. For I do wonder, could we actually, somewhere deep down, think that it's somehow wrong or unholy to be overly joyful? Could we be so obsessed with our guilt and our failures, with our duties and our responsibilities, with our expectations and our criticisms, that we can actually push joy right out of the picture? Could we actually value stoic misery more highly than exuberant joy? I'm thinking here, for example, of the older person who is so, so serious about their faith that they're actually suspicious of anyone who expresses enthusiasm, excitement and delight. They think they're some kind of fanatic who couldn't possibly understand that Christianity is actually sombre business. But, you know, I'm also thinking about the younger person who thinks it's better to be sullen and, and burdened and hard done by. They think that the Christian who speaks or acts or prays or sings with joy and passion, well, they are seriously uncool. My friends, could it be that we have essentially devalued the spiritual fruit of joy and have forgotten how to truly rejoice. But digging even deeper still, I think there's an even more fundamental reason that can lie behind these others. And that is that as Christians, there are times that we will be unhappy because we've actually fallen into the trap of seeking our pleasure, our fulfilment, our security and our joy in the things of this world. For at the end of the day, no one wants to be miserable. And so people were seeking their joy in many different things. Back in the book of Ecclesiastes, you might remember how Solomon speaks in chapter 2 about how he searched for pleasure and happiness in parties and wine and mindless laughter. He looked for it in projects, in building up his property, his wealth and business enterprises. He looked for it in entertainment and in singers and a harem and all the delights of a man's heart, he said. But is it really any different today? Some seek joy in their friends and family, in their boyfriend or girlfriend, in the children or the grandchildren. Some look to the attainment of a secure, relaxed, trouble-free life. Some look to career or to holidays or to fitness, some to a hobby to indulge in, a team to support, a cause to champion. But do you know what the problem is? The problem is that all of these things, even those that are good and wholesome, they're all unstable and temporary in the end. My friends, parties and holidays, they will finish. 
New possessions grow old and lose their shine. Businesses go bust, careers end. Enjoyable pursuits become life-controlling addictions. Relationships grow cold. Kids grow up and leave home. Loved ones pass away. Solomon said that in the end, everything he desired was meaningless. It was a mere chasing after the wind. And that's why those who seek their joy and happiness in worldly things are so quickly disappointed. For they fall into that never-ending cycle of if-onlys. If only I had more money, then I would be content. If only I could overcome this illness, then I would be happy. If only I had more friends, or was better looking, or could lose weight. If only I could get trendier clothes, or a better four-wheel drive, or a, or a larger property. If only I had more time for myself, or more weekends away, or a more fulfilling job, or an earlier retirement. If only my parents would get off my back, or if only I could find a better spouse, or people would pay me more attention, then... Then I would be joyful. But even when we gain the very thing that we so desperately chase, we, we discover that the joy we expected is somehow disappointing, limited and short-lived. And we just start longing for something else. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us who are here today to consider is the reason you're feeling unsatisfied, unfulfilled and unhappy because in reality, you're actually looking for your joy in earthly things, in the things of this world. Are you wanting the assurance of Jesus' salvation, but yet when it comes to your security and your significance, your purpose and your pleasure, you're actually seeking these things from this world? Friends, there is no doubt that as Christians we can struggle to experience the joy and the happiness that the Bible says we should. But that then leads us to our next question, how then do we attain it? How do we grow in it? How do we overflow in it? How do we come, as Peter says, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Well, let me tell you how we don't do it. We don't find true joy by putting on a stupid grin and taking on an artificially bubbly personality. We don't find it by ignoring the troubles in this world and the troubles in our lives and pretending that everything is fine. We don't find it by escaping our responsibilities and becoming more self-centred and self-indulgent. We don't find it through the power of positive thinking or by falsely building up our own self-esteem. No, my friends, the way to find authentic joy is by focusing less on ourselves and the things of this world and focusing more and more on the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, whenever the Bible speaks of joy, it does not actually speak of it in isolation. It speaks of it as rejoicing in the Lord. And so we need to remember, first of all, that we, we have a relationship with the God and King of this universe. We know that he created this world. 
And we know that he rules this world and he looks after this world. We know that he's in control of everything that happens in our lives. We know that nothing is by accident. Everything is part of his plan. But more than that, we know that this almighty Lord of all, he loves us with a never-failing love. He has invited us to call him Father. He has chosen us to be his own precious children. He has pledged that he will always be our God and we will always be his people. We are now daughters and sons of the King and he has promised to protect us and to guide us and to bless us all of our days. But more still, he has demonstrated his love in the most amazing way by giving us his own son. For Jesus came, did he not, to bear our sin as he suffered and died in our place. And Jesus came to make us pure as he clothed us in his own perfect righteousness. And so he has removed the burden of our guilt and our shame and he has given us the most amazing salvation that there could ever be. But friends, if we believe in Jesus, then we can also be sure that he cares for us in every part of our daily lives. There is nowhere that we can go that he is not with us. He watches over us every minute of the day. He always hears us. He always answers our prayers. He always provides us what is best in every circumstance. And so no matter how bad things may get, we know that we are never alone. And as if that wasn't already enough, my friends, we also know that on the day when we take our final breath, that there is a better future awaiting us. For our Lord will take us to himself in paradise. And one day we will be raised to new life in the new heaven and the new earth. And all our troubles will be gone. And we will live in glory with our God forever. My friends, when we, when we remember the, these wonderful, magnificent, breathtaking truths, when we, when we remember just how incredibly privileged we are, when we remember that we deserve nothing but yet have been given everything, then we'll find peace, we'll find hope, and we'll find extraordinary gladness, happiness, and joy. I want to read again those words from 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, my brothers and sisters who are here tonight, this is a, this is a joy that will never ever disappoint us, that can never, ever diminish, that can never, ever be taken away from us. We can experience it whether we are healthy or whether we are sick, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, whether we have lots of friends or whether we have none. We can have this joy no matter what our situation might be. And in fact, even when, even when everything around us is falling apart, and we feel like life is totally hopeless, like it's just one problem after another, one, one disappointment after another. Even when we feel like we are complete and utter failures, we can still have this joy. That's why the prophet Habakkuk could say, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Our friends, there's, there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Even if we would lose everything, we still have him. We still have his compassion. We still have his hope of eternal life. No matter what you might be facing in this world, you can yet rejoice because you are a child of God. But that brings us to our final question today, and that is, what effect is this kind of joy going to have in our lives? Well, again, I'd like to start with the opposite. What won't it do? Well, being filled with joy in the Lord does not mean that your life will be perfect. There will still be struggles and tragedies and heartaches that come your way. And it also doesn't mean that, uh, that, that you'll never experience sorrow or frustration or grief. But what it does mean is that underlying all such emotions, there will yet be a solid foundation of joy that undergirds it all. Even on our darkest of days, we will be able to remember and rejoice in the fact that our times are still in God's hands and our future is still secure in his love. This kind of joy is something we experience deep within us. It's a joy that makes the good times so very good but that also carries us through the valleys. It's a joy experienced by the, by the Christian living in poverty, by the Christian who is on their deathbed, by the Christian under severe persecution, 
That's why in James chapter 1, he could say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. But this authentic Christian joy is not only experienced on the inside, but it's exhibited on the outside. It shines through in our attitude toward life, in our attitude toward trouble, in our attitude toward each other. It shines through in our expressions, in the way we smile and laugh. In Proverbs chapter 15, we're told a happy heart makes the face cheerful. And so there's actually no room for those who say, well, I just rejoice on the inside. This joy will also shine through in the way that we talk, the way that we pray, the way that we sing. It's tragic that sometimes Christians worship God with an attitude of disinterest. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. There's also a few other effects that joy will have on our lives. You see, true joy in the Lord will protect us from temptation. For instead of chasing after happiness in worldly things and as a result being lured into the, into the sins that they provide, well, we instead will find our happiness in Christ alone. True joy in the Lord will also motivate us in the way that we serve him. When we do things out of a sense of duty or just to impress others, then it so quickly becomes a burden, doesn't it? But when we do them out of joy, well, then they are a delight. We'll love to spend time in devotions. We'll love to come to church. We will love serving in a ministry. We will love to give. We will love to show hospitality. We will love to care for the needy. And so it goes on. When we have true joy in the Lord, we will also become a great encouragement to each other. I don't know about you, my friends, but I've never been uplifted by a gloomy Christian. Those who are negative and bitter and complaining, well, they just bring you down, don't they? But the Christian with a smile on their face and with a positive word to say, who's keen to help and keen to participate and keen to support and keen to encourage, well, they are just such an enormous blessing from the Lord. But finally, when we have true joy in the Lord we will also be a great witness for the gospel. For my friends, the gospel, let us not forget, is good news. It's the best news. And so it should fill us with gladness. I mean, why would an unbeliever listen to a miserable Christian? They're just a contradiction in terms. But when we're overflowing with happiness, that is when people are attracted to our Lord Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, we've thought today about this topic of joy. We've seen that it is a hallmark of the, of the authentic Christian, but we've also admitted, haven't we, that far too often it's missing or limited in our own lives. But how crazy, how crazy that would be 
I mean, we can rejoice, can't we, in the purchase of a new car, in the birth of a baby, in our team winning the grand final. But then how much more shouldn't we rejoice in the Lord our God and in the salvation of our very souls and in that inheritance that can never, ever perish, spoil or fade? My friends, don't we want to experience a greater delight in the Lord? Don't we long to gain and to grow in and to overflow with rejoicing? Well, then take the time to remember tonight who you really are, a child of the living God, showered with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And take time to ask him to work in your heart that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, words cannot express how great and merciful you are and how richly and how wonderfully you have blessed us that you chose us before the creation of this world to be holy in your sight, that you have chosen us to know you as our loving Father and to receive the most amazing, glorious and eternal inheritance. But yet, Father, as we pause and think about this, we acknowledge that we can so easily forget and that we can actually live as though none of this is true. And so, Father, we pray tonight, please, please fill us with your Holy Spirit and may your Spirit fill us with your joy. May we experience it deep within our hearts and may we exhibit it in our own lives. Lord, we pray that we might be a church that is filled and overflowing with happiness and rejoicing as we celebrate together the salvation that we have in Jesus. Lord, please hear our prayers in his name. Amen. I'll pass back over to Cameron.